Hi, this is part two of my conversation with Alexander and uh, Slobodan. To check out part one of our conversation, where we discussed about FinDev and the uh, widely mapping at length, please go to realworldserverless.com. I hope you will enjoy this episode where we're going to talk at length about hexagonal architectures and how to use it to mitigate vendor locking and lower your switching cost, as well as why voice is the future of computer human interfaces. And I know, Slobodan, you've talked about how you can use uh, hexagonal architectures to sort of help mitigate some of the sort of concerns around the vendor locking. Do you have some examples that you can share with, with us in terms of how that looks in practice? And uh, if uh, you know, has, has some of those additional efforts, have they paid them off in terms of you, know, you having a decision to make to switch to a different service? And that helps you minimize the amount of work you have to do at that moment in time. Yeah, sure. So, uh about vendor lock-in, uh, what's vendor lock-in? Of course, everyone talks about like cloud vendor lock-in and I still need to hear one a really good story about why someone migrated from, for example, AWS to Google or I don't know, Google to Microsoft or whatever. Most of the time it was like mistakes of like us as people, not really uh, uh, because platform raised their prices and things like that. And uh, Mark Schwartz from AWS explains that really well. Uh, he's, uh, he says that uh, that's not really a cloud, uh, that's not really a vendor lock-in, that's a switching cost. And you have switching costs whenever you have some decision. For example, we decided to use Node.js for vacation tracker, but if at some point we decide uh, that Node.js is not really a programming language that is solving our problem and that we need to switch to, let's say, Go or something else, I don't know why, but let's say that's our... Uh, that's what we realize at some point. We will have a switching cost. We'll need to rewrite our application and it will be expensive to migrate to some other uh, programming language. It's the same with like cloud infrastructure and things like that. Uh, so when we try to analyze our uh, potential project uh, at that moment, vacation tracker, we, we put everything at the, uh, on the map and uh, we use some... Uh, like uh, we did some analysis and things like that. And then we decided it's okay to like go with AWS because we'll, uh, our infrastructure cost will be really low and it's low. Uh, first, like eight months uh, were like $0. And now it's still like uh, around $100 per month or something like that. And we also have some credit. So it's uh, basically zero right now. And uh also, it can grow with more usage and things like that, but it also allows us to build some things faster and things uh, like that. So it's a good trade-off. And we know that we need to migrate things from one service to another, not not really from uh, AWS to Azure or something like that, but we already uh, did many modifications of our application. When we built like uh, MVP of our application, we, we had some like... Uh, ideas and now we saw that some of the, these ideas are not good and uh, we try to use different like uh, tools for different things and uh, for example at the beginning we had some MongoDB database and at some point we migrated most of these things to DynamoDB but uh, because it's scaling better it's faster and we have less problems maintaining it and things like that and hexagonal architecture is something that help us uh, helped us a lot to do these things and uh, 
for hexagonal architecture. That's something that uh, we first time learned uh, from Goiko and uh, both Alexander and I is, uh, are using uh, hexagonal architecture basically everywhere now. And uh, the idea is really simple. Uh, hexagonal architecture uh, was like defined by uh, Alistair, uh, Alistair Coburn. And he says that uh, the application itself should be developed uh, in its isolation from its eventual databases, runtimes and things like that. So you can easily like run your application from uh, uh, production environment, but also from, uh, let's say, uh, automated tests or your local environment and things like that. And if you apply that to serverless, it makes sense because it's really hard to test your serverless applications uh, locally because you need to like sim uh, simulate many things like DynamoDB, which is relatively easy. But if you want to uh, simulate Cognito and many other things, it's not that trivial. And you'll have some uh, issues that are not real issues. You'll uh, need to spend more time solving your uh, like local issues, like local mock issues or whatever. With hexagonal architecture, uh, you basically remove uh, the business logic of your application from uh, its connections to real world. Uh, so you have some kind of adapters and uh, our application is saving some lead uh, request to a database. And then we have different adapters. One adapter is for uh, MongoDB, the other adapter is for DynamoDB and they receive the same data, like the same interface because we are, we are using TypeScript. And then they have different logic how to write that to the write table of DynamoDB or uh, write uh, part of MongoDB or when we run everything locally, then we decide to do that in mem uh, to write the data in some in-memory DB just to be able to test the integration and things like that. So yeah, uh, hexagonal architecture or ports and adapters help us a lot to like uh, develop our application in a way that we can easily not that easily, but uh, depending on migration, uh, we can relatively easily move to some other like uh, adapters and things like that. It's trivial to change the adapter. It's not that trivial to write a new adapter and make sure that uh, you don't uh, break your business, uh, your other parts of logic, not the business logic of that function. That that part is is isolated from everything else. But uh, maybe you're saving some data to MongoDB and reading other data from DynamoDB, and you somehow need to make sure that you're moving all the data at the same time to, to another data source and things like that. But uh, that architecture helps us a lot to like simplify our code and uh, be able to like migrate and use new services uh, and things like that. Yeah, I do think uh, hexagonal architecture is a very powerful way to structure your code and certainly make it far more portable and uh, flexible as you make those uh, switching ch switching decisions. Uh, I guess one of the things that I have found in terms of just just the pain point of using hexagonal architectures is that uh, it does take a bit more effort to write the first time, uh, and uh, you have to be you know I guess quite conscious of the the abstraction layer that you put in there so that it's flexible enough to make you change decisions uh, to go from say Mongo to DynamDB without being too restrictive that you can only use the least common denominator in sort of features between two, the different services that you want to use. I guess my struggle with hexagonal architecture is understanding when to actually use it because I can't really predict the when I'm going to incur those switching costs and most of the time I actually just default to talking to DynamDB directly without going through some other abstraction layer and because 99% of the time or 90% of the time I'm not going to switch my database. So basically I don't know that. Uh, I 
if I'm building like a product that is MVP, I, I think that uh, there's a possibility that we'll need to change everything. For example, we tried to use Pinpoint at the beginning for analytics. Then we decided that that's not a, the optimal service for that. And then we switched to like Segment and some other tools. And now we are using uh, many integrations through Segment. So we're not trying to uh, decide that upfront if we don't know that. Uh, and we kind of found the, the easy way to like write our uh, code using hexagonal architecture. Maybe it's not the right way, I don't know, but uh, it's the way that works for us. But basically, how, how does it work? We have like different, uh, let's say, repositories, or maybe uh, these are just node modules uh, that talk to DynamoDB and MongoDB and uh, some other things like maybe events, like segments and things like that. And then what we do, uh, when I have some Lambda function, I have a Lambda JS file or now Lambda TS file that basically, uh, imports these, like, uh, let's call them adapters for DynamoDB and segment, let's say, uh, for that function. And then I just basically pass these, uh, libraries to our main function that does real business logic. And that main function doesn't have any connection to the real world except these parameters that it's, it, it is receiving. And then you can easily like change these things. You just need to change like Lambda TS file, nothing else. Your business logic inside stays the same because you have like a database dot save leave or whatever with some parameters and things like that. And of course you need to have like a lot of tests to, to make sure that your adapters are really working with different databases and things like that. And we are not really using the as you as you said, you need to decide how deep do you want to go uh, into everything. We're using a lot of things from DynamoDB, and our migration from Dynamo uh, from MongoDB to DynamoDB wasn't that trivial. Uh, when we wrote our like uh, that layer that is storing data to a database and things like that, because we we try to do some uh, more like a single table layout and things like that, but. Uh, you can still uh, spend a bit more time on writing your new uh, adapter and uh, your business logic will stay the same. Uh, when user want to request a new leave, it doesn't really matter how do you st store that leave in the database. The logic is the same. You need to check some things. You need to see if that user have enough days and things like that. And then you need to store that to the database. That part of the logic is fully isolated and tested in isolation of uh, real database and other parts of the system that we're using. Yeah, yeah, uh, that I understand. Uh, I guess that my struggle is more that uh, sometimes it's just easier to um, pay for that switching cost when you do make the de decision to uh, switch from one thing to another than to try to, well, make it easier later by investing upfront, um, doing all this work to build the adapters and all of that. Sorry, if that takes uh, too much time and costs you too much to like build uh, application with hexagonal architecture, you definitely shouldn't use it uh, for us. It doesn't take more time because somehow we, we have our own system how to write these uh, functions in that way that is not taking more time for us. So going back to FinDev, you can easily decide when you use Wordly Maps and FinDev, what should you do? Uh, and you can decide what's the best risk for you. Is it, the, is it better if you have like potential higher switching cost and never switch? Uh, in most of the cases, or you have like lower switching cost and then uh, more development time that you invested and things like that. For us, it's 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 not costing us much more to like build everything using hexagonal architecture. So for us, it's like no brainer to choose that. I, I mean, I'd like to add that, you know, 
I mean, it's it's a very simple question. What what I mean, there's a there's a this question actually was given to us by our friend Dan, Dan Dimitri, who also works at he he works at Amazon, and he told us like what uh, the best question to ask yourself is what is uh, what is the thing you're trying what is the problem you're trying to solve. So, so is your focus on trying to solve your infrastructure or is your focus to provide better services and better features for your customers? Like, you just need to ask yourself that question. If your question is, I want to provide more features for my customers and more value, then obviously you you know where to where to focus. But if you're like saying, well, you know, I, I know I have a product, but I'm going to focus still on my infrastructure. Well, that's going to be a problem for your customers and later for your business. Yeah, I well, I get that. Uh, but I guess the I guess the question for me is still just, uh, of course, I'm always going to focus on building features for my customers. But that doesn't tell me that doesn't inform me when I need to apply adapters to how I write my lambda functions. I guess I don't really have a crystal ball that tells me. It's really hard to decide that. It's it's re- it's really hard to decide that, isn't it? Um, so for me, I think I probably in the past I've uh, used adapters in cases where I am not certain which is the best service I'm going to use. But I think nowadays, uh, most of the time, I kind of know what tools I'm going to reach out for. And that you know, by, by the time I make those decisions, I should have understood the requirements to know, to know whether or not, say, DynamoDB is a good fit for these particular uh, requirements that we have. And then I probably most likely, I'm probably just going to go straight to DynamoDB rather than going through some abstraction layer that I built through uh, you know, with adapters uh, and whatnot. So for me, uh, the question is not... Uh if we'll need to switch to something else. The question is when. Uh, so even for DynamoDB and things like that, uh, for DynamoDB works perfectly fine for me right now, but who knows, maybe uh, in next few years, AWS will release something else that will allow me to delete a lot of our code and just outsource some parts, uh, more parts uh, of our logic to, Dyna- uh, to AWS directly, or maybe someone else. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so the question is, when do, uh, do you want to switch to something else and how big will that, uh, uh, how big impact that will be to your business? That doesn't mean that you want to go multi-cloud or anything like that, because that doesn't make any sense uh, if you put it on a map or something like that. But if you're building the application that you want to stay on the market for like next 10 years or something like that, some point you'll need to switch to something else. If you built everything uh, using uh, VMs and things like that, like 10 years ago, uh, now you want to switch to serverless somehow and you want to remove parts of your logic. At that point, you had like perfectly fine uh, technology, probably the best technology that you had at that moment, but much better than your uh, competitors and everyone else. But market is changing. And that's uh, where Wordly Maps can help you uh, to see how market is changing, to see some potential changes and things like that. And uh, of course, it's not a crystal ball. It will not tell you all the answers, but it will point you to uh, to look in the right direction. And then you can like calculate all the risks and uh, look in the right part of the, the map that you want to focus on. Yeah, but for me, I've got, I will have a meta in my I will have a meta in my in my module in my functions uh, code that says to get something from well I don't know get a profile get whatever. Uh, that's the only function. That's the only method. Oh, God, it's uh, this whole name function is uh, <laughs> messing you up. Um, so that that's the only method that's actually talking to DynamoDB directly without having to have explicit abstraction layer to represent the adapters. When is that not enough? Uh, versus uh, having to have some more formalized uh, ports and adapters in place uh, ahead of time. So I don't think that's a question that we can 
probably find definitive answers right now. Um, of course and not. in the interest of time, I want to maybe just switch gear a little bit again to, to Alex, because you've done a lot of work with uh, voice and, and uh, Alexa. So how do, you, how do your interest in voice came about uh, and what do you think is the future of user uh, experiences or UX? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> thank, uh, thanks for this question. I mean, uh, this is one of my main topics currently in my life. <laughs> um, well, yeah, uh, my interest with voice came a long time ago. I mean, obviously, I guess we all, we all as kids... You know, uh, we watched a lot of Star Trek and a lot of other uh, uh, TV shows that kind of like, you know, showed us the potential of a future and so forth. But um, in general, um, yeah, I know. I mean, if you're in, if you're an impatient person, sometimes as I am, um, sometimes you want to see some things which, you know, you, you want to create some things which are uh, up in your, I mean, in your imagination, you're, you're thinking about it. Some time ago, I, I was thinking about like, you know, if I mean, I guess everybody thought about like, you know, what if you could build your your applications or anything with voice? And I mean, of course, some people, I mean, many, many like just give up because it's like, you know, how are you going to build your applications with voice and so forth? But as serverless came along, I came to like a, to an a, like basically to a conclusion and I, and I was further uh, pushed into it by, by the usage of Worley maps and also by... Uh, Simon's uh, prediction on uh, on uh, on like saying that conversation programming is going to be the future, uh, but basically, yeah, uh, a few years ago I was you know when just Alexa kick started, I was um, basically just helping around my house with the with the voice and started exploring a bit, and also you know my my father he tried to he, he when he saw Alexa he was like what if I could open the gates of my of my yard with my voice you know. And uh, so all of these things kind of pushed me forward. And um, yeah, after uh, like maybe two years ago, I came to a concept of uh, something called, uh, it, I mean, it had a prototype name called Jarvis because I liked, I, like, I still like those kind of Iron Man movies and so forth. I basically started building, um, I mean, I, I first, first built a prototype. What if you could like, you know, build a Lambda function or something or build a cloud formation stack using voice. And after uh, literally a month, uh, this evolved to a point where I could m build multiple stacks and multiple applications. And um, yeah, all of a sudden I got this whole idea of like, you know, actually you can now build, you know, just with, with, with serverless, you're now able to build now applications with voice because you can easily abstract away, you know, do, uh, the application. I mean, that actually the application logic, the application and their infrastructure finally got their own... Uh, uh, how can I say a concept uh, 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 regarding the business, like the business logic transformations? You had business storage with S3, business storage with um, DynamoDB, um, uh, or also Aurora. You know, you, you had other types of transformations and some streams with uh, Kinesis. So, like you know, every single concept we have in the in the software uh, engineering are now like basically formalized as services. And uh, through that concept, I was like, yeah, but yeah, basically before you, you, we weren't able to do that because infrastructure wasn't ready. I mean, you could build applications with voice, but how would you deploy them? How, how would you scale them? You know, all of these things were a problem. But as things now evolved, now we have, we've come to a point where, you know, actually voice has become a part of our daily life. I mean, if you if we all recall, Alexa has been here now for like, you know, four years already in our, in, or maybe five now. 
Um, and all of these things led me to a point that, uh, you know, the future is definitely going to be voice. Uh, not just, but I, I want to clarify, it doesn't mean voice first. What, what voice first means, voice first means that, you know, it's like Alexa, you don't see the UI, but you're just talking to it. But even Alexa has realized that. So even the Amazon Alexa team, I guess, has realized that because now you see, now you have a small Alexa shows available for, to everyone. Like, you know, every Alexa now has almost, like almost every Alexa, except the small dot ones, have a screen, you know, which means that they have also realized that human interaction with them, with each other, with, I mean, our human interaction among each other and with, with, with machines is basically based on not, not just on audio, but also is also visual. So my belief, um, and that's something which I'm building this, this tool called the computer.ai. And there's another one as well regarding the healthcare. But uh, that, anyway, that, that's a different story. He's like, you know, in the future, people will be able to build applications and software and a lot of other things using their voice and their touch and their and their eyes. I mean, you're not going to build using your eyes, but you're, 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 you're going to evaluate. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, even uh, two years ago on the reInvent, AWS reInvent 2018, I've, uh, Slobod and I have actually given a workshop on how do you build your first, uh, like, um, this kind of, like, you know, building voice using, building a software using voice called the Jarvis. You know, you know, Alexa, create me an app. That's how the workshop was called. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. Since since that moment, I've been actually very involved in this area. Um, yeah, I mean, um, the the current evolution of technology is such that you know um, we are actually more and more used to this um, voice. For example, this Christmas, I've seen uh, my nephew using his phone uh as um basically for like you know searching and i was like i, I mean i just saw him talking to his phone and i was like i mean has the seven-year-old kid go gone crazy or what and but no actually he was searching for minecraft and he was like just googling like hey man, hey alexa hey alexa hey google can you show me minecraft or something like that and i was like the guy doesn't the kid doesn't know how to write you know and he's able to use this phone already I mean, not to write Latin letters, I mean, because he is seven years old. He knows to write Cyrillic. In Serbia, we have two letters, two types of letters. Anyway, um, so I was like so amazed. And uh, yeah, all of these things as we see them, and for example, even reports by AWS, by Amazon, that actually there's been, there's been like a 300 or 400% increase in uh, shopping view using Alexa and so forth. And we have a, a bunch of other Alexa devices, uh, I don't know, for your fashion look, you know, you can take a photo, there's an Alexa for that, for, um, uh, there are even like now tools available, like software tools on the market that are like, I don't know, helping uh, lab assistants um, do uh, or do the research, taking notes and so forth called LabTwin. Um, there is, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't want to like go into details, but there's like, there's like literally a bunch of tools now available that enable like regular people do amazing stuff using voice. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, that's basically the whole story behind it. Um, so yeah, I do believe that voice uh, and like voice equal with uh, voice and uh, voice and visual is going to be the future. Yeah, even the Star Trek characters, they still have tools that requires them to click buttons and uh, look at a screen like those um, like those uh, devices that used to scan your well, scan you to see if you got any bugs or any uh, diseases and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I mean, uh, but but just like for more complex things, I don't know if you recall. For example, they have 
uh, this um, they have the computer and they have also the doctor. So these are the, actually the two the, the two name tools which I'm building in some way. I mean, I, I'm not building the doctor, but I'm just like you know uh, using the using using the, the the term for for the for that, which is like how can we using like voice help people do their job better? And in in the Star Trek, for example, this the doctor uh, is basically a kind of an artificial um, uh, assistant doctor, which is able to you know. Help the help the crew by analyzing their symptoms, analyzing their conditions, and so forth. You know, I mean, it doesn't make any decisions. Actually, humans do, uh, but it actually just informs them of uh, of of the potential of what's going on and so forth, without actually having the people to do the manual labor or and and you know, actually, you know, trying. To, I mean, you can't remember like not a single doctor can remember every single disease that exists on this world, and particularly. The combinations of symptoms. The com- I mean, I mean, at the current moment we have this coronavirus crisis and that's going around the world. I mean, doctors are still are still discovering, like throughout the whole world, which kind of symptom is suitable for what. And I mean, is this symptom really occurring? Where? What? I mean, you know. And we as humans are flawed, you know. And I mean, even I mean, even computers are flawed because they're built by humans. But anyway, but still, what I want to say is. You know, we can use computers to assist us and uh, they they can help us actually provide more and better services and better, you know, even healthcare for for, uh, the people around the world. Uh, So, yeah, that's great. That's uh, that's definitely a future to look forward to. Um, But right now, (laughs) so taking us back to the present, uh, with AWS, you guys know, we've all been working with AWS for quite some time now. What would be your top three AWS wish list items that you would like Amazon to work on and fix? I guess I can start. Uh, I'm using uh, HTTP APIs now a bit more than uh, than uh, traditional REST APIs from API Gateway. So I would love to see uh, tracing uh, available for HTTP APIs. Also, I really like how Lambda destinations work, but I would love to see Lambda destinations working for uh, all uh, integrations, not just for async uh, invocations. And also, I don't think I have uh, a lot of uh, other things that I want AWS to implement or to improve and things like that. I basically need a better documentation now and better examples and things like that, because I think the hardest thing with serverless right now is how to start with serverless, how to see some more real-world examples, and how to uh, find all these uh, excellent tools that they already have, because most of the people know about Lambda and API Gateway, and that's it, maybe SQS and SNS, but there are a lot of uh, different services that can help you to solve your uh, problem that you uh, have right now, but it's really hard to find these tools and uh, then understand how to use them, and uh, if you try to do something uh, slightly more... uh, I don't know, advanced or uh, things like that. It's really hard to like figure out how to do that uh, if you don't have a lot of experience with AWS. Uh, and that's something that I would love to to see, like more real-world examples that people can follow and uh, probably a bit better documentation. I have no idea how better documentation looks, but uh, definitely not like documentation they have right now. Yeah, for the real world examples, I think they are start they are starting to work on that. Uh, obviously, Haito did his uh, airline example, and I think uh, um, 
uh, Alexander from uh, from the 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 Nordic team has also recently published another, I guess, more real world like example that's that's quite comprehensive and not just a very very small project, limited the project that doesn't really give you a sense of what a fully fledged service application looks like and all the problems that you can run into. So hopefully they are already moving towards that that direction in improving some of the documentations and also giving customers more real-world-like examples that they can look at and see how to build things themselves. Yep, uh, I agree. And uh, we really like uh, what Aether uh, did with the serverless airline project. And uh, yeah, we hope that uh, they'll have more projects like that. I think that was really, really helpful for people to understand how to build a serverless application using AWS. I mean, personally, for me, uh, I would also like to mention that Aether's project, which was like super, super useful because, I mean, again, uh, we did kind of cooperate. He invited us on a few shows because, you know, he actually built the whole solution step by step with which involving ser series of guests and so forth. But I really appreciate that, that because it actually shows how people cooperate together, how they build a product, how, how, do you, how do you use and which services from AWS should you use to solve certain problems? Particularly, for example, I loved how he used um, AWS Step Functions to actually uh, track the booking uh, status of, of, uh, of an, I don't know, an airline ticket that you might order and so forth. Like, this is really, really, really amazing. Uh, I mean, at least from my surroundings, I heard a lot of a lot of people and AWS customers that which mentioned that, you know, they really love the show and they they even go, go to, you know, go and go and find it to reference it. And, you know, they go through the, to the GitHub and so forth. So, yeah, that was one of the things which was the highlight. But now to mention something which is like for me, like one of the top three I, I, AWS wishlist items is I would actually put Slobodan's third documentation testing as my first. <laughs> Because this is definitely something which, um, you know, I find the most useful. Uh, they have amazing services, but on some occasions you can't find things which you want to use, which is, again, a lot better than everything else on the market. But still, you know, uh, actually it saves uh, me and I guess my company's time and everybody's time a lot more if we are able to you know, like quickly find the necessary uh, pro uh, properties, uh, cases, when and why are you using a certain case solution? Why would you, for example, use, I don't know, like, I don't know, S3 and Dyn or DynamoDB for some cases, because sometimes S3, as Goiko wrote an article about it, is like, you know, sometimes S3 is a better thing than to use for some storage than, than um, DynamoDB. Or for example, uh, when, should you sh when you should use Athena, and uh, S3, and uh, instead of actually using, you know, Lambda with DynamDB or something like that, or, or GraphQL. I mean, s these cases are super useful for any kind of customer and uh, for, any, for anyone building anything else, a anything actually uh, business-driven. But uh, what I want to also uh, add is, um, in my opinion, I would also like um, more, actually, a lot more precise toolkits regarding Alexa, because Alexa has seen a lot of changes uh, of their SDK, uh, not SDKs, but like tools, how do you build it? And they're like now, I think several of them where the Alexa SDK kit uh, has changed quite a bit. Uh, I mean, uh, these kind of things are a bit, you know, tricky. I guess they're like work in progress, but still, you know, uh, there are people who are actually uh, building some Alexa apps for production and for even for some businesses. And um, yeah, the thing is they're not seeing, I mean, it's a bit hard 
the decision process, which toolkit should use and why. And um, these things are problematic. Uh, and yeah, and the, and the third thing is, I mean, I, I would like to actually to see more and more examples and the uh, cases for uh, Amplify. So I'm, I'm a big fan of AWS Amplify and a big fan of, uh, I mean, I, I've seen Nader Dabit's work regarding, uh, I mean, he was using Amplify and uh, using many other like solutions to actually uh, to build uh, even example projects for free, like Jamstack uh, e-commerce or Jamstack, you know, like, I mean, he has built like a bunch of things. Things like that are super useful and I would like to see them even more um, in the, for the, basically from the Amplify team. So yeah, these are my top three wishlist items. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, Ned is doing some amazing work on the developer experience and sort of things uh, for AWS. Uh, I do, I do very much like the stuff that they, they're doing with Amplify, and I think that's probably one area that Microsoft is probably lacking a little bit as well. That they don't really have something equivalent to Amplify or Firebase. Uh, I guess they probably have different customers telling them, you know, they have more enterprisey needs uh, than AWS. Um, but still, thank you guys very much for sharing your uh, your top. Uh, 80% wish list items. But before we go, are there anything else that you guys like to share with the listeners? Maybe personal projects that you want to promote or potentially open job openings at your companies? So nothing really special from my side. Uh, there's of course a book uh, that both Alex and I wrote together. It's called Serverless Applications with Node.js. Uh, I guess we can provide some promo code or something like that. Feel free to reach uh, to us uh, via Twitter or something like that. And uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, we are writing from time to time with Goiko on serverless.pub uh, website. So there are some, uh, I guess, uh, I hope useful articles there. And that's it from my side. And what about you, Alex? Yeah, and on my end, uh, yeah, just as Slobodan mentioned, is um, you know, again the book, uh, also the serverless.pub website, and I also would, would like to mention if uh, I don't know if you're if you're in, if you're keen into worldly maps and would like to if you if you'd like to know uh, I don't know because you know with worldly maps you can also do gameplay moves, which means what you can do and what and when. I recommend there's um, I I mean I open I open sourced uh, a workshop called Battle Camp which is basically it's free open source kind of workshop uh, where, you know, several people can, several groups of people can actually compete kind of, I mean, not to really compete, but kind of solve a problem differently or, or even occasionally compete against each other if necessary and practice gameplay moves. So it's called Battlecamp and you can find it on GitHub or battlecamp.io. No, I need to update the website though. Um, and that's it. Uh, thank you for having us, Jan. Thank you for having us. No worries, and I'll make sure that the, those links are available in the show notes so that the, uh, people can find you on Twitter and to find your uh, book, serverless.pub and uh, battlecamp.io. And again, thank you guys very much for joining us and sharing us with your serverless stories. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Take it easy. Stay safe. Bye-bye. That's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes and the transcript for this episode, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you have enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Twitter and subscribe so you never miss another episode. I'll see you guys next time.